may be seated. All you brave ones want to uh, say hello to each other. Yeah, I'm compressed. I thought there might be a dozen of us today, and you made it. The first significant snowfall of the year, seems like anyway. Uh, We have a brand new married couple here today. I don't know that all of you know Pete and Lindsay. Little Bird uh, told me that uh, uh, husband and wife, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hammond, and we'd like to uh, celebrate and congratulate them. So stand up, you two back there. We want to say congratulations to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for letting me embarrass you, okay? We're going to talk today about, uh, uh, at least begin by uh, thinking about what is it worth to us to uh, be children of Jesus? What are, what are the advantages? What are, what are the benefits and the rights that accrue to us because we know Jesus personally? Just think about it. What, what are the rights and the riches and the privileges that come our way uh, because we're followers of Jesus Christ? Or maybe you want to think about it this way. What are the people who don't know Jesus personally missing that we get to enjoy? Uh, Today we're going to look at a guy who saw what we have and he wanted it so much that uh, he was willing to write a big check for it. Okay, imagine he, he saw what, what followers of Jesus have in Jesus, and he said, I want that so much that I'll write a monster check to get what you have. It's pretty interesting. We're in Acts chapter 8 today, and you can turn there with me in your Bibles. Uh, the message of Jesus today gets scattered to Samaria. And the reason it gets scattered to Samaria uh, is because persecution has been unleashed on the early church. Remember last week we looked at the stoning of Stephen? Remember Stephen uh, boldly, confidently uh, went in and told the Jewish leaders exactly what they'd done. And he very clearly laid out, you boys have killed the promised one. You boys have crucified the anointed Savior, Messiah, and it's on your hands and your head. And do you remember how they handled those strong words? Not well, right, Balcony? (laughs) They rushed him. uh, They probably choked him. And while they're dragging him outside of the city, I'm sure they're spitting and beating him up. And pretty soon they're all grabbing rocks And they fire the rocks into Stephen's body until he is what? He's dead. Okay? That's how much they didn't want to hear what Stephen had to say. Uh, They they were convicted, and yet they didn't want to repent. They wanted to kill the source of conviction. Um, But, listen, this is what we said last week, but our awesome God even used Stephen's death martyrdom to impact Saul's life. And he's still talking about standing there and watching a godly man die, and it impacted him, and that was a part of what God used to bring Saul to become Paul, who'd become the greatest missionary of all time. 
So e even though something awful happened, God used it. And God even used the persecution in the early church, track with me for a second, to scatter the seed of the gospel to places where they had to run to. So he even took a bad situation, persecution, beatings, imprisonment, and uh, he scatters the gospel all around uh, the areas of Judea and Samaria. And we said last week, th this is the key point, our God is still in the business of taking hard, difficult, trying, painful, bad stuff in our lives and using it for good. Now, I didn't say that the bad, difficult, painful things are good. I'm saying our awesome God can take even those evil things and use them for our long-term good. That's an awesome God. And He's still in that business in our lives today. Acts chapter 8 is where we're at today. Uh, if you find verse 4, we're going to read down through verse 13. Uh, and then we'll pick up a little bit uh, later and we'll read the rest of our uh, passage today. But would you stand with me? Acts chapter 4, start with verse 4, read down through verse 13, and uh, we'll declare God's word out loud together. You ready? Here we go. Read with me. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the example of Philip. Lord, uh, I, I'm impressed by this guy, and Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to get impressed by Philip, who runs to a strange foreign city and just can't help but share about your son Jesus. Lord, my prayer is that uh, each of us would follow Philip's example. Lord, uh, we are living in hostile, difficult days at times as well here in 2013, and, and yet, Lord, uh, I, I pray that we would be bold and courageous and zealous in our desire to, to tell others about what your son Jesus has done in our lives. Lord, give us opportunities even in this week ahead. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. We, we believe it's exactly what you have in mind for us even 
today. So as we study and worship you in the study of your book, Lord, I'm asking that you might open up our eyes. Lord, uh, unstop our ears, soften our hearts, clear our minds. Lord, help us to hear what it is that you have to say to us today from your inspired instruction manual for our lives. Lord, we invite your Spirit, the very third person of the Trinity, to come and be welcomed in your church this morning. And all the church gathered at Walloon Lake said in response, you may be seated. Persecution, beatings, torture, imprisonment has erupted on the brand new church in Jerusalem. And I want to show you who Philip is, so if, if you've got your Bible, hold your spot. I just want you to go back to Acts 6 and verse 6. Remember they had that problem with the widows in the church, the Jewish widows and the Greek-speaking widows. Well, they appointed deacons to take care of that problem, and one of the deacons they appointed, his name was Philip. So as you go to Acts chapter 8, we're talking about Philip the deacon, okay? He was a Greek-speaking Jew. That's why he was a good person to deal with this. He, he cared about the Greek-speaking widows, and he was going to make sure the problem was solved. Now think with me. But now persecution breaks out on the early church, started with Stephen's being stoned to death, and then it just erupts all over the early church. And that's when Saul starts getting involved intensely, uh, hunting down followers of Jesus, okay? The Greek-speaking followers of Jesus would be easy targets because they were the ones who stuck in town after the feast. They were the ones who had, many of them, given their lives to Jesus, and now they were there getting discipled and growing with the church, but they would have stuck out. They didn't speak the same language. Uh, they didn't fit in as well. There, there was no hiding for them. Do you understand? They would be easy to pick out from the Hebrew and the Aramaic-speaking Jews. So they were easy pickings to, to unleash torture and imprisonment on. They were the ones primarily who scattered. Does that make sense? So Philip, one of the Greek-speaking newly appointed deacons, scatters. And it says, verse 4, Philip scatters, verse 5, to Samaria. Samaria. Uh, in case you don't remember, let me just tell you this. The Jews hated the Samaritans. And the Samaritans hated the Jews back. Do you understand? They didn't like each other. They didn't get along. John chapter 4 and verse 9, here's the summary. Okay, this kind of summarizes what's going on, Jews and Samaritans. Here's what it says, John 4, 9. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jews don't talk to, don't speak with, don't associate, don't befriend, don't go near Samaritans. Why? You ready for a little history lesson, Ed? Can you handle it? Okay, if I go quick, can you handle a little history? Okay, here we go. Uh, why not? About 1,000 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Steve, um, 
during David's son's reign. Remember David's son, his name was, but he really smart guy, really wise, his name was Solomon. Uh, a problem happened at the end of his reign, and the northern ten tribes said, we don't like being united with you anymore, and they split. And there was animosity, and there was hatred, and there was civil war, and some of the wars was between Israel in the north and Israel in the south, okay? And they were mad at each other. So that's where this animosity started uh, in 721, okay? More history lesson, the Assyrians came down to the north and conquered the northern ten tribes, okay? Assyrians came, and their way of making sure that you became our territory and you weren't a problem, they pulled out some of the best citizens, took them back to Assyria, and they brought in some Assyrians and said, now you will marry, intermarry the Assyrians, okay? So now you were forced to marry this foreigner, this pagan, this Gentile, and now you're having kids, and they brought with them their foreign gods, and now suddenly they're kind of half Jew and half Assyrian. See, see what happened? Um, later on, the Babylonians came and conquered the south, Judah, Jerusalem, uh, but they didn't force the Jews to intermarry with them. Okay? So, when they came back from Babylon, remember Ezra and Nehemiah came back, rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the wall, the Samaritans say, can we help you rebuild the temple? Can we help you rebuild the wall? And you remember what they said? Uh, no, <laughs> no thanks, you're, you're not welcome. And they were mad because they were refused uh, help building the temple, building the wall, and then later on they said, no, you can't come and worship in Jerusalem anymore. So you know what the Samaritans did? Okay, we'll build our own temple. <laughs> and they did. And they built their own temple on Mount Gershom. They rejected all of the Old Testament except for Genesis to Deuteronomy. They kind of created their own religious system loosely based on Judaism. How do you suppose the Jews felt about their, uh, their new creation? They, they, they hated them. You are heretics. You are half-breeds. We don't like you. We won't talk to you. We won't eat with you. Uh, they wouldn't even walk through their land if they had a choice. You understand? That's what was going on. So now, go back to chapter 8 and verse 5. History lesson is done. Aren't you glad? Say amen. Uh, Philip takes the good news of Jesus to who? The Samaritans. We hate them. You are enemies. You are heretics. You, you are only half Jew. Um, again, only Jesus would walk through the land. Everybody else went around. In John chapter 4, remember the woman at the well? Jesus was willing to interact with Samaritans. None of the other apostles thought that was a good idea. Okay? So, when the crowds in Samaria saw the power of God in Philip, listen, when, when they saw the Lord alive and well and working through Philip, verses 6 and 7, they responded. Philip, by bringing Jesus to the Samaritans, brought joy to that region. Holy hope, holy confidence. Uh, that's, that's the best definition of joy. Holy hope and holy confidence 
That's joy. Joy was brought to the Samaritans as Philip proclaimed the good news of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the Samaritans. Okay? Now, now here's what I want you to know, okay? The miracles of Philip authenticated the message. Listening? The miracles Philip was performing authenticated the message of Philip. In other words, they knew that this was God's stuff and real because of the miracles. But the miracles saved no one. It was the message that saved the Samaritans and brought joy. You tracking with me? That, that's key. Okay? Showed that this message was real and could be trusted. Now, here's what's interesting, okay? Even the Harry Houdini of that day thought Philip was pretty cool, okay? He, he really was. He was kind of like the David Copperfield, Harry Houdini of Samaria. And if you look at verse 9, it tells us a little about, about him. Simon the sorcerer was his name, okay? Uh, even he was attracted to Jesus, at least what Jesus was doing through Philip. And the text tells us that Simon possessed some pretty impressive skills, Okay? Verses 10 and 11 say this guy could do amazing stuff. Now, now let's just pause for just a moment. How was he able to do amazing stuff, Larry? Where, where does that come from? And, and here's what I'm telling you. According to God's Word, there are two sources of power here on planet Earth. There, there is the source of power that comes through Jesus Christ and His Word and His Spirit... And the second source of power comes from Satan and his demons. And, and here's what's interesting. Nowhere in Scripture is there any other option given. Okay? Uh, so here's what I'm telling you. 2 Thessalonians 2.9, you can write it down, but it talks about Satan and his power. Actually, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 10 kind of talks about it, But verse 9 kind of bangs it home. I, I'm telling you, Simon the sorcerer, any of the real power, I, I would guess he had a bag full of tricks. He was deceptive. He had good illusions, good sleight of hand. But verses 10 and 11 seem to say that he also had some legitimate power. Where did the power come from? Satan and his demons, 2 Thessalonians 2.9. Okay? Now, his sorcery was amazing to the Samaritans, says that twice. And he boasted... Uh, Look, look what he gave himself the name, or, or he certainly liked it when they said, they, he said that his name was the great, his title, excuse me, was the great power of God. How's that for an inflated ego? What do you think, Spencer? The great power of God. Yeah, I'm sure that was on his logo, you know, and, and as he would get out uh, and do his, his tricks. Um, for a long time, verse 11 for a long time, it says, Simon was the man in Samaria. You know, if you wanted to be amazed, if you needed help, uh, if you needed to tap into power, who do you see? Simon. He, he was the man. He was the great power of God. But now, here's, here's where it gets interesting. Verse 12, verse 12, but now Simon the sorcerer, 
uh, sees that everybody's following Philip and not him. He had been the man, but now Philip's the man. And notice that Philip is not exalting Philip. Who is Philip exalting? Jesus Christ. He's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. And it seems that Simon thought, if you can't beat him, what should you do? What's the saying say? If you can't beat him, what do you do? I think that's what he did, verse 13. And uh, he says, well, I, I might as well jump on the bandwagon. Uh, everybody seems to be following him. They're not paying attention to me now. And he professes that he too is a follower of Jesus. We're going to see in a few verses that he really wasn't putting faith in Jesus Christ. He was putting faith in the miracles that Jesus Christ did through Philip. And we'll see that in a few, uh, in a few verses. But uh, it's interesting. Jumps on the bandwagon appears to walk an aisle, raise a hand, sign a card, uh, made some kind of public profession, and then he agrees to get baptized. Now, uh, word gets back to Jerusalem that Samaria is being reached for Jesus Christ. Think with me now. Word filters back to the Jerusalem church, hey, did you know that our despised, hated enemies... The region is being reached for the gospel, and, and they're coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And what does the church wisely do? They send the two leading apostles. They said, you better get down there and go find out what's going on. You, you better get down to Jerusalem and check it out. And that's exactly what happens. Look at verse 14. Um, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God... They sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay? Remember that the message of Jesus and the cross has for the first time gone out to the Samaritans. Up to this point, it was confined primarily to Jerusalem, perhaps a little bit to Judea, but this is the first time it had crossed enemy lines, the gospel, okay? Now, the gospel has been welcomed by the Samaritans. Here's the question. Will the Samaritans be welcomed by the Jewish church? Okay, so, so that's the question now. Will they welcome the Samaritans? Would there be division in the early church? There was a very real possibility this was what happened. Listen, you would have the first church of Jewish followers of Jesus Christ, and then you would have the second church of Samaritan followers of Jesus Christ. Two groups now separate, divided, in conflict, not willing to get along, okay? This was a dangerous, critical moment for the church. They were growing, and now they've spread into enemy territory. So, listen with me. God in his wisdom, God in his divine providence, withholds the Holy Spirit from the Samaritans until the leaders, Peter and John, arrive. And notice what they do. Look back to the text, and when they arrived, what did they do? They, 
they arrived and they prayed for them and then they put their hands on the Samaritans and identified with them. And then the Holy Spirit filled their lives just like it had their lives in the upper room at Pentecost. And it showed Peter and John, the leading apostles, guess what? They just received the very same Holy Spirit we received a few months ago. It it fell on them too. So they could go back to Jerusalem and certify to the Jerusalem church, guess what? Yes, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, they have the same mark of the Holy Spirit. Yes, they should be welcomed into the family of Jesus Christ. God in his providence was really smart. Uh, He does things a little differently here to ensure unity, and he kind of puts his divine veto on the potential for a major church split. And that, that very likely could have happened, but, but God, in his wisdom, does something a little different here. Here's what you need to know. Are you ready? Give me your eyes. Everywhere else in Scripture, every time you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, you also receive the Holy Spirit. Everywhere else, okay? Every time, always, they go together. It happened back in Pentecost, Acts 2, 38 and 39. Matter of fact, Peter says, verses 38 and 39, when you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, you also receive the Spirit. Romans 8, 9 says it real strong. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Couldn't be any clearer. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus Christ. And you see that in Paul's conversion, Cornelius' conversion. You see that throughout the New Testament, okay? But God wisely recognized, you know what? This unprecedented situation, the gospel moving out to enemies, is unique and exceptional. And I better do something unique and exceptional here to show my people that they should accept their mortal enemies, the Samaritans. Jewish believers needed to say yes, okay? So you just need to know that's a big question when you come here. Why, why do they accept Jesus Christ as Savior and then receive the Holy Spirit later? This is the only time that occurs, and there's a very good reason for unity and oneness and to prevent a split in the church. That's why it happened. Now I want to show you one more thing that I think is pretty neat here, okay? Um, John is one of the two apostles that shows up. There's Peter and John, okay? And um, if you want to, hold your spot. You can go back to Luke chapter 9, but I'll I'll just tell you about it. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends uh, the apostles out, and he says, uh, go ahead. And um, they went into Samaritan villages to get ready um, to be sent out. But the people in Samaria, they didn't welcome them. They didn't like the idea, you're coming into our territory. You're going to, no, no, we don't want you here. They reject the apostles, okay? And here's, here's what John says, okay? John and his brother James. Uh, Lord, I think you should call down fire from heaven to destroy those Samaritan villages. <laughs> They're not receiving you. They're not responding well to you. Just burn them up. Just destroy them. Just kill them all. Um, well, the Lord doesn't do that, but, but I find it interesting. This was maybe just a year or two earlier 
when John didn't like the Samaritans, and he was ready for God just to wipe them out. And now, that same man, Apostle John, a couple years later, has grown and matured. Now go back here to chapter 8. I want you to just see that same guy is laying hands on the Samaritans and praying that they too would receive the same Holy Spirit. And if you slide down to verse 25, I, I like this verse a lot. It says, And after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. But while they were going back, what did they do? Preaching the gospel in what? Many Samaritan villages. So the same guy who wanted to wipe out the villages is now preaching the word of Jesus so that the villages would respond and become followers of Christ. Paul, isn't it good that the Lord works with knuckleheads like us? And over time, he, he patiently works with us and works with us and does work with us, and, and, and he grows us up and he matures us as we, day by day, walk with Jesus and grow in him. So, to me, I find that encouraging because... Um, you know, I could just speak for Paul and I. We're, we're pretty much knuckleheads. And to think that the Lord is willing to patiently work with us and use us and help us to grow and mature and start to love people, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? And he did that in John, and he does that in us too. Um, now the focus gets shifted back um, to Simon the sorcerer, okay? Verse 18, let's, let's uh, see what's going on there. When Simon uh, saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on um, of the apostles' hands, here's what he said. Um, I'm going to offer you a lot of money, and he said, if you'll give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit, I'm willing to give you most of my gold. I mean, he saw a moneymaker here, right? He, he saw a power, and he said, I want that. <laughs> he he kind of thought that maybe Peter and John were the same kind of guy he was. You know, I'm in this for money and fame and power, um, and I, and I got to believe that Peter and John are the same kind of guys. So he says to Peter and John, hey, I like what you're doing. I want to add what you got to my bag of tricks. Um, how much for me to buy the Holy Spirit franchise from you? Okay? Uh, you got a pretty good franchise here, boys. Uh, and I think I'd like to buy into it, and I'd like to sell franchises. And I'd like to be able to give the power of the Holy Spirit to people. So how much is it going to take? How much of my gold do you want for me to buy into this business? And Peter is blunt and strong and fairly harsh in what he has to say back to Simon. Here we go. Look at verse 20. Uh, Peter answered, uh, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Verse 21, You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. 
For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. I couldn't find a theologian or a commentator who thought that what Peter had to say meant that Simon really was a genuine follower of Christ. So if you think he's still a follower of Christ after those words, you certainly are more optimistic than I and the commentators, okay? Uh, Let's just go through real quick some of the things he says. Verse 20, your money could never buy God's free gift. Simon, it's not for sale. Verse 21, he kind of says you're really not a part of us or part of the church because if you were, you wouldn't think that way. Verse 21, your heart's not right, Simon. Seems to imply that's not a born-again heart speaking. Verse 22, repent of your wickedness. Uh, You're still living in your thinking, your magic and sorcery mindset. Verse 22, repent, Simon. You've got sin in your life. You're messed up. Your heart is messed up. Verse 23, Simon, you're full of bitterness. You are full and you are a slave. You are a captive to sin. Again, in my mind, it's pretty clear. What, what he's saying is, Simon, you were in this for all the wrong reasons. Uh, yeah, you raised your hand, you walked an aisle, you signed a card, you prayed a prayer, but there was never any heart change, Simon. And look at verse 24, Simon can't even pray. Then Simon said, pray to me that the Lord, may, that nothing that you've just said may actually happen to me. So what was his concern? I don't want any of the judgment of God on my life. Pray that this judgment won't come on me. Um, It seems that Simon was not a wheat, but a what? But a tear, yeah. It seems pretty clear that he was of the same faith as the demons. James 2.19, write it down, I'll read it to you. It says, you believe there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. It seems that Simon had demonic belief. In other words, demons believe that Jesus is God. Jesus, no, they were there that Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood. Demons, no, Jesus literally, bodily, physically arose from the dead. But they refused to surrender their lives to Jesus, and they refused to receive him as Lord and Savior. You understand? Uh, it, It seems that Simon's faith was demonic faith, and uh, he was never truly a follower of Christ. It was a miscarriage, if you will. Uh, Church history isn't kind to Simon. Um, Again, it's historical, but church history tells us that Simon became a leading teacher of heresy. You ever heard of Gnosticism? It was a leading poison of uh, false teaching of that day. Church history tells us, Ignatius and some of the early church followers, fathers tell us that Simon became one of the founders, one of the leading proponents of Gnosticism, a poison that led many people astray from the faith. I guess here's the point that I would encourage you to catch. It's frightening. It's frightening to me how close someone can get to Jesus and his word and God's truth 
and even respond enough to say, okay, I'll even, I'll even go into the water and get baptized, and yet not truly become a follower of Christ. Miss eternity. And that's the frightening thing. You can know a lot of stuff. You can be exposed to a whole lot of things and miss eternity with Jesus Christ. Now, Simon was really impressed with Philip and his power, and he even pretended to love Jesus to get the benefits of being a, a Jesus follower. Um, I'll trade all my gold. Let me buy one of the franchises, and I'll, and I'll sell this uh, Holy Spirit stuff to everybody, okay? Simon saw the benefits of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Benefits that you and I receive for how much? Free. It's free. And I just want to close by listing some of the benefits that you and I have for free, okay? And if you've got uh, a pen, this might be a good place. Let, let me just quickly cover six benefits and privileges and rights of all who genuinely know Jesus Christ and have been born again, okay? Uh, first benefit of being a follower of Jesus Christ is forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember in uh, John chapter 13, Jesus was about to wash the feet of Peter, and remember, Peter says, no, 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 you can't wash my feet, and, and, and Jesus said, if, if you won't let me wash your feet, then you really don't have any part of me, and remember what Peter says, okay, then don't just wash my feet, do what? Just give me a whole bath, Jesus, and, and here's what Jesus says, you've already had your bath, you just need to keep your feet clean. We have the privilege of having a spiritual bath at salvation, track with me, and then day by day, as we fall into the mud and the manure of sin, I can go get clean, get my feet clean. I can do the U-turn, run to the cross, and get cleansed and purified and back in right relationship with Jesus. How much is it worth to you the privilege of being able to get clean every time you fall? Can you imagine, Myron, if you just had to lay there in the guilt, in the mud, and, and you couldn't stand up and do the U-turn and run and get clean, how much is it worth to you the privilege we have to go and run and confess and get clean? What's that worth to you? It's an amazing benefit. Second benefit of being a follower of Jesus Christ, communication with Jesus 24-7. Weekends, holidays, Middle of the night. How many of you find that you do a lot of your best praying in the middle of the night? Other than me, anybody? Um, it tends to be when you get woken up and you can't go back to sleep and things are weighing heavy on your mind. Or if you're sick, when do you usually feel the worst? For me, it's like always 3 o'clock. Why is it always 3 o'clock? Oh, 3 o'clock. I hate 3 o'clock. Run to the Creator at 3 o'clock and boldly ask for help. Ask, ask the good shepherd to help you count sheep and go to sleep. Yeah. So if prayers and answers to prayer was available only from a bank, how much would you mortgage to get the benefit of prayer? Third benefit, um, being a part of the church family. 
God's plan for today is his local church. God's plan to reach northern Michigan is to use the local church. That's how he's going to get his will and and his plans accomplished. And, And you come together as family and you pray for each other in tough times. And you laugh with each other in good times. And you're giving us permission to swim out to you and tell you, hey, did you know you're swimming with the sharks? And you're about to get eaten because where you're living right now, it's not good. Come on, let's swim back to shore. You're there to worship with each other, comfort each other, encourage each other, grow together, worship Jesus together. If the church family and its services were available for rent, how much would you pay to get their support? Fourth benefit of being a follower of Christ, okay? And and that's to have in your hands God's love letters to us. Think with me now. God gave us his instruction manual for life, and he said, if you want to bless life, this is how you do it. If you want my applause on your life, line your life, your thinking, your behavior, your attitudes, line it up with my book. What's that worth to you? We were just in Haiti, and in the church in Haiti, 350 people, exactly three people have a Bible. The pastor and two deacons. That's it. (laughs) And how many Bibles do you and I have? I think I have about 20. Okay, I didn't go count them, but just off the top of my head, I got all the different, you know, I've got the MacArthur version, the study Bible, the Thompson chain reference, the NIV. I could just keep going. I've got a couple of Greek deals. Um, How blessed we are to have God's instruction manual to keep us from problems, to keep us from hurting ourselves. We have his owner's manual for life. If you want your life to work properly, follow the owner's manual. What's that worth to you? How valuable is God's word to you? If you didn't have a copy of this, how much would you bid at the auction to get one of these? How much? Fifth benefit, heaven, (laughs) eternal life forever with Jesus. Now here's the truth, give me your eyes. We all deserve the lake of fire, right? That's what we've earned, the lake of fire. But instead, through the bridge that Jesus built called the cross, he offers us eternal life, mansions of gold and silver, no more sin nature, always in the presence of King Jesus. Now, if you could buy your way into heaven, how much of your lifetime salary would you give for it? If you could buy your way into heaven, and you can't, But if you could, how much of your lifetime salary would you give to go to heaven and not go to the lake of fire? And the sixth and final benefit that I'm going to list, and this is the one that Simon was after and wanted to buy into, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Simon said, you know what I see in Philip? I want that for me, okay? So, so here's my question. 
How much is the comforter and the counselor that takes up residence in our lives when we say yes to Jesus? How much is that worth to you? If that were for sale, to have that in your life daily, what would you pay for that? If you've said yes to Jesus, give me your eyes. If you've said, I do to Jesus by faith, then all the riches that I just listed and more are yours. And I would argue that you and I in Christ, are you ready? We are multi-billionaires in Jesus. Can I hear an amen? You know, we're all, oh, I wish I was... I wish I had what Bill Gates had. I wish, uh, you know, I wish I was like one of the, the uh, Sam Walton grandkids, don't you? Oh, I wish Warren Buffet was, was uh, uh, in my, uh, I was in his will. Come on. If you're a follower of King Jesus, what we have in Christ is so much more because ours isn't going away. That's just temporary. What we have lasts. We're loved, adopted, chosen, children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you believe that? We are loved, adopted, chosen, children of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And here's what's sad. Are you ready? Most of us, most of the time, walk around like we're paupers. Most of us, most of the time... We walk around as though we're poor and destitute and orphaned and starving and we're lost little sheep and woe is me and I got nothing and it's just a sad little existence. The most miserable people I know, listen, are truly rich, multi-billionaire followers of Christ who are living as though they're paupers, not taking advantage of who they are and what they have in Jesus Christ. So are you living like a multi-billionaire spiritually or have you been living like a pauper? Simon wanted to buy in what we have already for free. How are you living recently? Living like a pauper? Taking advantage of the privileges and the rights? Or are you living like a pauper? Poor, starving, destitute, boy am I miserable. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we recognize that what you've done in and through your son Jesus changes everything. And Lord, I just want to say forgive us for uh, moping around and acting as though we're poor and starving orphans. Because the truth is, the amazing, powerful gifts and privileges and rights you've given to us actually cause the circuits to short out in our brains because we just can't even comprehend all that we have and are in and through and because of your son, Jesus. So I just want to pray for my friends here. I pray for myself. Lord, help us to be reminded of all the blessings that you just constantly rain down in our lives. Lord, may we never settle for living like poor, starving paupers. We have so much to enjoy 
in and through your son, Jesus. And Lord, if there's anybody here who's never said yes to Jesus, if they've never responded by faith and walked that bridge of the cross, may today they be real hungry. May they be thirsty to have all that we've just talked about. May they recognize what your son Jesus is capable of doing in their lives as well. And may they be ready to say yes. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray all these things. Amen.